Hi everyone, this is Mary Keurig with Frontrunners Innovate and I am just blessed today to have with me Sanita Mava and she is with Echo Villages. <laughs> She's an expert on Echo Villages and, and we really wanna find out more about that and how it involves the environment, the climate, uh, planet greening, the whole, the whole ball of wax and also how it in, involves economic development and how it fixes some of the problems that communities have. Um, with me as a co-host is Prince Omenahu, and Prince is uh, in Nigeria, and uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself in a minute because he does a better job than I do, but he is just a young leader that I have come to embrace as somebody that um, we want to try to put some supports under and help him do all the wonderful things that he's doing to create impact out there. And we have, uh, getting ready to join us, we hope here in just a second, uh, Emma Oshing. And Emma is in Kenya, and Emma is an outspoken advocate for, uh, ah, <laughs> there we go, there's Emma, um, for climate change and climate action. She is a student in Kenya. There you are, Emma. And hey. finishing up her last year is uh, in finance and hopes to, to move her skills into um, you know, spaces that are gonna create impact you know, once she gets out of college. So she is also a co-host here with me. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with Sunita sharing a bit about herself, doing a little better job of introducing herself than I did because we have so many people to introduce today. And then we'll kind of move around virtually around the room and let everybody uh, introduce themselves. And then we're going to ask some questions of you. So Sunita, we're going to start with you. So why don't you create an introduction here and then we'll move forward. Thank you so much, Mary. Um, yes, so my name, as Mary already said, is Sonita Mba, and I come from Cameroon. And I am very, very passionate about seeing young people in their potential, um, manifesting the most of themselves, especially African young people. And with this passion, I go into nature, I explore what nature has to offer, and I use yeah, the dynamism of nature to explore systems. So this is like where I come from and I have a background in literature, but I have worked for um, a couple of years, say 10 years now in the field of um, development, mainly around permaculture and eco-villages. And yeah, and right now I am a permaculture designer and fascinated by the beauty that nature can give. And yeah, working with several communities and eco-villages and global eco-village networks and movements across the world um, in implementing transitioning communities to eco-villages and creating also demonstration sites in different African countries. So. I am really, really honored to be here with you all. And um, and yeah, I, I think just one last thing, I won an award a couple of years ago and, and I feel very deeply grateful for this. And this is the Gender Just Climate Solutions Award um, for the work that I did for many years with women in Cameroon around creating rocket stoves and rocket stoves, they are these earth cook stoves um that empowers women and enables them to participate more in decision-making processes in their communities but how those women cooking faster and participating in leadership position how does all that come together with climate change well you tell me um, 
some magic sometimes happens in, um, in the process of working with communities and that's one of them, definitely. Fantastic. Um, for the sake of the audience, I don't know if Emma and Prince might know what the word permaculture means, but I would like for the audience to be able to know it. Will you explain what that is? Um, okay, so permaculture, is the word itself is new, but the concept is not. Um, it's been living uh, with indigenous communities, generations for a very long time, um, especially with uh, traditional African communities. And this is just the traditional way of farming, imitating nature. Um, and when the word was coined, it said it's permanent culture, permanent agriculture. But of course, uh, culture is not permanent, yeah? Um, so this is what we are going to explore today. <laughs> oh, awesome. Speaking our interests. Thank you, Sunita. Um, Prince, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Oh, you're on mute. Yeah, here we go. That, that's really an interesting um, oh, an area you're working on. Um, my name is Prince Zomomenu from Nigeria. I run a nonprofit called Caring Beyond Borders Foundation, which is basically into youth empowerment and development. And we also give care and support to orphans and vulnerable children. Likewise, we'll use platforms like sports, entertainment, you know, to engage them, you know, to discover their potential. And also you see how we can continue to support them to develop themselves and become self-reliant. And also belong to, um, I'm a policy fellow of the Nigerian Global Affairs Council, which is also a policy think tank that, you know, policy simplification and policy making, we look into that in Nigeria and see how we can support government in drafting policies that will be of better standard and improvement in the economy and development of its citizens. So that's what I basically do. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Prince. Emma, if you'll take yourself off mute and, and do a little intro, that would be great. Yeah, thank you so much, Madam Mary. It's a pleasure to be here today um, together with Prince and Sonita. I think Sonita, you're doing a great job, uh, especially with regards to permaculture. It's, I mean, I've heard of the word, but I really didn't know what it meant. And it's great that you've explained it. And I'd even love to know more from you with regards to what you do. It's amazing the work that you did to empower women back from where you came from. And I think you totally deserve that award. So I'm looking forward to how this conversation is going to go and hopefully you are going to interact. Uh, my name is Emma Ching. I'm from Nairobi, Kenya, and I also have an interest in conservation and sustainability. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, she's a student uh, finishing up, as I mentioned, uh, her last year, I believe it is, in finance in Kenya and very much uh, an advocate and outspoken one on climate and uh, planet greening and that sort of thing. So this is right up her alley, <laughs> this is perfect. So I'm gonna start with uh, Sunita and then I'm gonna invite our panel uh, hosts to, uh, to ask questions. But Sunita, give us a little bit of your background, if you will, what brought you into the work that you're doing here? Okay. This is always a tricky one. Um, <laughs> so first of all, um, as a young person growing in Cameroon, but also growing in Africa, I realized that um, I was not contented with agriculture and so many other young people I was schooling with in university um, and not contented with agriculture because it did not make our parents rich. 
our parents worked so hard my parents work are agriculturalists and they worked so hard for so many years but they never became rich and as young people we were super ambitious to do something um to get money to be financially resilient and so then the question was what is it really that young people can do to to change this apathy for agriculture um and to be more interested in agriculture and to find out what really is there because agriculture is the future for africa i know it but but how can we get more young people involved and this is where my passion came um and i started working with um young people in different schools working on environmental education in in kindergartens but also in secondary schools um just to understand um, more about the environment and conservation, but also teach a little bit about biodiversity conservation um, and get more involved in national level policy on biodiversity conservation in Cameroon. And, and then to understand therefore that what young people in Cameroon and most African countries really want is technology. And that young people are fascinated by technology, but then how can we bring technology and agriculture together? And this is where I came into permaculture because the two kind of go very well together and uh, permaculture deals a lot with adaptive technologies that work then with the environment and in alignment with the environment. So this is where I came into, I came alive into this field. That's fantastic. Um, bring us up to the point where you got involved in the first Echo Village project. So I started volunteering and doing a lot of work, a lot of community support, supported agriculture work in Cameroon, um, especially in the main city of um, the capital city, Yaoundé, because this is where I was studying. Um, because uh, my uncle had made me understand that when I would graduate from the university, I would be part of 10,000 other students who would graduate the same year, and we would all not have access to any job. So I shouldn't lie to myself. So I should start realizing that, that there is something extra outside of the university. And, and, then, and then I started volunteering, therefore, for different um, nonprofit institutions and working, as I said before, with different young people and also with schools. And this is how I got into a, an organization called Better World Cameroon. And Better World Cameroon um, had a capital, um, had an office in the capital city in Yaoundé. And when I finished, therefore, my bachelor's degree, uh, they decided to employ me and to work with starting an eco-village in the northwest region of the country. And so this is how it all started, like like magic, um, in 2012. And so we drove down to the northwest region, and we saw the land, um, and we bought a piece of land, and we started to create uh, beauty, to manifest beauty, on um, a five hectare piece of land. Um, and this place is called Bafut. This is quite north, very quite close to Nigeria, also south south area of Nigeria. Um, and in Bafood, therefore, we we first of all you you acquire land, or 
because eco-villages are part of either in transition or their traditional communities. For example, in Africa, you have a tra existing traditional community or you create a new community. Um, and so in this case, we had an existing traditional community. Um, and then we wanted to transition 54 communities. Um, and so this was like an eco-municipality, if you may call it. Um, and we needed to create therefore a demonstration site and demonstration sites therefore form like they act as um, agents of multiplication so uh, to try out new technologies new techniques which therefore we would be able to unroll into the different 54 communities and this is this was the purpose therefore of the land and we we named it the Ndani for permaculture eco village demonstration site um, and that was the genesis of a transition in um, work for 54 communities. So, wow, that's, that's interesting. And I have like tons of questions, but I'm sure the, the two of the, <laughs> the two of these, uh, Prince and Emma might have also some questions. Who has the next question? Okay. Okay, let me, right let me do a quick one. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, Sonita, that's so wonderful. Um, what I want to know is what are the challenges you've been able to face earlier on and how have you been able to, you know, overcome them? Or what are still the challenges you're still seeing that you think you can, you know, attract people to look into it and help build a widespread or probably, you know, make it much more on an easier way for more young people to come into from a culture. Wow, interesting. Um, so first of all, just as a young person and as a young woman, it's not easy to delve into communities and start to do work there. And so first of all, I, the first challenge I would say I, 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 I faced was that almost everything had a European standard. So it was a either a European or a Western standard. So a lot of stuff was existing. Permaculture was existing. Eco-village movements were existing, but it was a European standard. And so, um, the first challenge was to 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 shift that standard a little bit and to adapt it to the African reality, to the Cameroonian realities, um, and to immediately to start by saying that these standards don't work in Africa, um, and that most of such educational processes are created from a European Western centric perspective that do not fit in Africa. And, and therefore, this is the challenge of starting a new journey of recreating um, regenerative processes that are for Africans by Africans. And this is a very challenging process because you have to do everything all over and starting to learn from the communities and what the communities have done for generations that then fit into such concepts. So this was the, the first thing. Um, the second challenge is that working with communities and 54 communities, as I've just mentioned, um, is that there are existing tensions, there are existing tension lines. And what, for example, the Millennium Development Goals and the SDGs do not prioritize this culture. And that when you step into communities, the first thing that you, I was confronted with is the culture of the people, my culture, the culture of Cameroonians, and that this is the basis of community. 
this is the basis of life in community and and that i need to relearn this and to unlearn everything else about culture i knew before and to learn about these processes but also the processes of spirituality within community this is not about religion this is not about christianity this is about ancestral beliefs of incantations and processes that communities believe in they work with these processes they work with nature systems that have been created for many years and this i needed to unlearn and relearn uh, because without without that it's impossible to work with the people um and also i i think uh, another challenge is that definitely we live in tough patriarchal systems across the world and gender plays a critical role um, in working with permaculture eco villages or in communities in whatever regards and that as a young person and a young woman daring into such a field that i had a lot of blockages um, in the system from traditional men but also from customs existing customs um, within our traditions for example just um, I am not allowed as a woman, as a young woman, to talk to certain people within communities. Um, I am not allowed as a young woman to cross my legs in front of um, older men or people who are much older than I am. I, at a time, I saw crossing my leg as a moment of comfort. I mean, right now I'm crossing my leg. So <laughs> but this was, this was not possible according to the customs. Um, I could not just sit in the way that I felt comfortable. Um, but also that the decision-making processes are slightly different and are not so flexible for women, especially for young women. Um, and so I need to take new leaps of change. I need to, um, I need to adapt my own, <laughs> my own sense of, yeah, of interaction and to, to be more flexible um, to these different, different processes where if we really want to do something about climate change and to use permaculture to combat climate change, we have to do that from the standpoint of where the people are, where are they right now, and to jump on the boat from there and to take on. And definitely these were my challenges and using permaculture to overcome this is, is another story. Um, but as you may already tell, I, I changed a lot in that process um, because these are life-changing experiences. It's something that um, it's, it's invaluable because um, personally, I go through these processes and I learn from them every day, but this shapes the work that I do and it shapes who I am therefore and how I bring myself in the world. Um, they did not only shape my work but they also ground me because again this is my culture they root my feet into the earth um, and i could feel the warmth of the earth and you know, everything that came up into me and i felt much stronger and very rooted but also that i could use the techniques of permaculture and the systems change that permaculture um, practices because you know, just to give a bit of context here, permaculture is really about designing and designing systems. And because the people in local communities, in this case in Cameroon, are very familiar with working with 
yeah, community alternative processes. But somehow these, these systems, they have a challenge transferring the knowledge to young people. So there's also this divide between the older and the younger generation, where the older generation is doing a lot of amazing work, but that work is just not going over to the younger generation. Uh, because either of lack of tools and mechanisms for this transfer of knowledge and the bridging, um, or that young people are just not finding interest in, in how the older generation is approaching the things that they are interested in. And so one thing with design and systems design with permaculture is that you have um, a, a pattern and a pattern is something that it's um, in a philosophical way, you know, a pattern is something that is either um, existing in nature or in humans and it's, it's there, it has, a, it has a life cycle or it has a way that it manifests. And when we use such patterns and we identify in nature those patterns, but also we can identify in communities and systems these patterns, then we can correlate those patterns with each other. And so in, therefore in design terms, we can create new systems out of older structures that are more resilient to the current generation. And therefore um, this is, the knowledge that is a bit was missing um, slightly in community development where the older generation have the practices, but they need this transfer mechanisms to bring this knowledge then forward. Um, and this for me, I find it really fascinating bringing those techniques in, learning from the, the people and then using that to showcase what we can do um, going forward. Yeah. yeah. You know, take a breath. <laughs> Emma, Emma, do you, uh, I mean, I, you, you're only generating more questions in my mind. So, <laughs> uh, Emma, do you have anything to share? It's just you whole Yeah, there you go. Thank you for that. Thank you, uh, Sonita, for sharing the challenges that you faced and how you've been able to overcome them. Um, my question will be with regards to what type of incentives can be put in place so as to make agriculture more lucrative to young people? Because as I said, um, young people see agriculture as something that's, I don't know, dirty work because you actually have to use your hands to, to use those tools, the various tools and stuff like that. But what incentives can be put in place so to, as to make agriculture more lucrative to young people? Mm, yes, agriculture is a laborious job. Um, and of course, we need young people because they're the labor force. Um, and so I think, first of all, we need, we need to shift the mindset a little bit. Agriculture is not as nasty as we imagine it because we could make it more exciting. Um, I think one of the incentives that we could use um, is technology, as I said already in the beginning. And technology could mean mobile technology, but also apps um, in a way that could make um, permaculture in a way more accessible. Um, right now, there are courses on permaculture, but they are super expensive. Um, and young people in Africa, of course, cannot just afford this. 
but if it's on an app for example and they can access this then this would be i think this is um, more interesting um, but also that uh, if young people have platforms technological platforms where they can exchange knowledge um, make an input about something and then get feedback but also have like a support system um, created um, with a technical tool because working with, in community with communities and doing permaculture agriculture whatever it is there's so many challenges that come and and africa is so dynamic and things are changing all the time so um there there's uh, yeah very tough skills of adaptability is required to to match with the current with the changes the constant changes I mean, these changes also come with political structures and social structures, economic structures. And when these systems are constantly changing, it's very, very difficult um, for young people to do business per se. Um, and so therefore, if there are possible exchange platforms where other young people could learn from each other and to say, what, what did you do? How did it work? And what were the learnings? And somebody else could use the same um, processes but also such platforms could host solutions so young people could upload solutions like if i did something really incredible and i want other people to learn from me so i make a one pager of say describe what a solution that solution might look like in practical terms how somebody else in another african country could implement it because we have similar climates and um, similar conditions these solutions could aid other lots of people to to find it much easier to handle um, um, consistent changes. Um, I also think there's a lot of education needed. Um, of course, money is needed, but I definitely think that we need the right um, mindset and the right knowledge uh, to be able to do it. And because permaculture also comes with this package of philosophical perspectives and how to map things and but thinking patterns and and i think that it's it's important that there is educational centers it could be mainstreaming um, such kind of knowledge within um, our existing school systems that it's possible then to have permaculture taught in a way um, within universities um, or training centers but also would be nice then to have some um, maybe some um, investors it could be impact investors who are um, interested in such alternative um, agricultural practices and would be excited to support young people who are already in that field um, to 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 do the best um, that they can because definitely the money is is in the end very very essential for the practices to actually happen because young people need that financial support that financial backing to be able to withstand those pressures so yeah definitely technology education and and the financial resources yeah that's a lot of good information um you made me think about a couple of resources one a story and one a resource and i put it up there for everybody it's uh it's somebody that we've interviewed here 
uh, farmingacademy.eu. And the woman is out of, I want to say it's, it's Norway or New Zealand, somewhere like that. I cannot remember specifically, but um, she is a farmer herself. And so she's starting this platform and the, the trainings are in different, you know, whether it's agriculture training or it's uh, animal train, you know, farming and that sort of thing. Um, are very inexpensive. We're talking like maybe $5 uh, US. So, and she's got some really excellent lecturers and it's all online uh, stuff. So it, that could be a resource for you. But, you know, you maybe think about when you're to excite young people and how technology can enter into farming. Cause I always wondered how do you, other than, you know, some really basic things that we've seen on television, how do you do that? Well, I was interviewing a gal out of Israel and I think she's with an impact fund. So I'm gonna see about connecting you guys. Um, but she, she said that they were working with, she gave me an example. They were working with a group of uh, ranchers at one point that they were using drones to count and herd cattle. And that the counting and the herding cattle by drone with them sitting back at the ranch with nothing but a app or you know in front of their laptop was doing a better job than the dogs and them on horses could do. <laughs> so, but you know, cause it's really important to count your cattle and to know, you know, where they're going, what's going on, who's in this pasture, who's in that, and you know, being able to keep track and then herd and the drones in the sky were, were, <laughs> were moving the cattle and counting them as they were moving. Uh, and of course they could see everything that was going on from sitting in front of their laptop. And I'm thinking, well, there's a good example of how technology is working and even better for these ranchers because then it allowed them more freedom to do some other, other things that were important. And then they started uh, adding on to their ranches in other areas. So they owned more than one ranch and were able to kind of keep track of everything. So it's really interesting how you can get to that point of uh, technology and understand how that would really excite some people um, because it's not just technology, it's technology with an extreme function that allows you to have more profitability and not just take, off, take something off your plate to do, you know, you know like a robot or something, but it, it actually will create and open up more freedom to be able to do better and more work and more impact. Um, for your, for your farming efforts. So uh, I'm gonna go back to you guys, Prince or Emma, more questions. Uh, Cause I kind of like to, you to give us some examples, Sunita, of what, perma, you know, what permaculture is other than explaining it more. I wanna, I wanna hear examples myself. So I don't know about you guys, you wanna hear examples of what she's talking about within, within an echo village. Tell us what the permaculture looks like. What, give us an example of what you've done. Okay, an example without pictures. Yeah, um, <laughs> we'll get pictures from you. We'll get pictures. We'll take pictures and put it with this. Paint us a picture. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I would do my best. Um, okay, so take for example that um, um, that we came into Bafut and for many, many years, people had been growing ginger. Mm -hmm. And ginger as a product was there. And over 80% of the ginger that was grown was abandoned in the bushes. Um, yeah, because if you want to sell ginger in the market, I mean, I want to buy ginger, I can only buy a certain quantity enough for the food because ginger was mainly used as a spice. 
so ginger like salt is i can use as much as i need i cannot use more than that um and so therefore everybody had ginger and so the market collapses mm -hmm. naturally when everybody needs to harvest and ginger takes nine months it's a nine month plant and so therefore when everybody's ready to harvest ginger then nobody really wants to buy ginger because ginger market has collapsed and you would for example you would buy in Bafood about a 50 liter container of ginger for like a dollar um, and so therefore the and ginger is heavy and so we don't have good farm to market roads so if you were to transport that ginger line in the farm um, to the market it would cost you a lot of money but you would get there and it would be just laborious and you will not get the money you require so many people got frustrated and abandoned the ginger in the bushes in the farms and so we had a resource here and the resource was ginger um, but not only ginger also turmeric because lots of people grew turmeric um, and turmeric is also known in some places as curcuma, curcumin. And, and you, lots of people were growing it, but they didn't really know what it was. And they called it yellow ginger. <laughs> <laughs> so when we arrived in Bafood and we saw that there is a luxury, there is some form of privilege in this place. And that privilege is that ginger lying there, but we can do something incredible with it. And so we said, let's do a permaculture structure, financial structure um, here. And so we identify that we have a resource, which is ginger. And, and of course, when you sell ginger as a raw material, you get no money, but you need to add value to it. Um, and so therefore, you need to create added value. And so we started a cooperative for ginger farmers and we started the cooperative with a zero budget so there was no money um and then all the farmers register and then we have to regulate the price the market price because we have control of course of the market um and so every farmer brings the ginger every farmer has to process the ginger in a specific way according to the quality control um but then we created a design of how the system would function from, from farm to delivery of the product. And so the farmers were part of their farming, harvesting, washing, processing, transforming ginger into powder or into ginger tea, or into ginger juice, into ginger sweets, into different products of ginger. And we were looking for markets locally, internationally for that ginger product. And in the end, we had a market with uh, Lush Cosmetics, who was um, happy to, to buy some of the ginger and the turmeric. However, it was just almost impossible to, to export stuff out of Cameroon. Mm. And so in the end, and then you see, of course, you have even more challenges coming in. In the end, we sold a lot of it to the local market, but we raised a lot of awareness over radio, television, by local people on how can you consume ginger? What are the different medicinal values of ginger and wh what type of ways you can use to consume ginger? What kind of 
uh, mixtures you would use for ginger tea not only to put it directly but you can do different things but also candies that were produced from ginger so for me this is an exciting project but therefore just growing ginger in itself um, is something that we, we would not promote because this would be a monoculture in it I mean it would be like growing palm plantation so um, another thing with permaculture is that you have to create a system where it's it's a supportive system so plants that support each other and the, the belief with the practice is that you have to maximize land and if we have just a quarter piece of land a quarter acre or a quarter hectare piece of land then we do something we call intercropping and we choose certain products and ginger in this sense becomes a high level product if high value product and another high value product could be turmeric could be moringa could be any product that stays longer on the land but could be um, processed and could be given added value. On the, on the other hand, you have traditional staple crops and these traditional staple crops are okra, beans, maize, you know, um, yeah, different kinds of things so that the people are not dying of hunger because you cannot grow cash crop because crop for cash and forget you have to eat. And so you need this structure on the same piece of land and you have to create this design. And this is, this is also something in permaculture. So you create the design on how that fits perfectly on a, um, on a quarter acre piece of land. Um, and you intercrop this traditional staple crops with the high value products. And then you intercrop the intercrop with um, trees of high value, for example, um, Lutzenia or Acacia, but trees that would produce nitrogen fixing um, that would improve the yields of the farm. Even though you only have a short piece, you only have a small plot and you grow less ginger than normal, but you have more, more yields because you have a more cooperative system. And and you have a richer, um, a richer soil, more nutrients, and then you have um, more value in the end because you're not going hungry because you have enough to eat and you are relaxed because you know that you have something that has higher value um, for the market. Um, and so this, this is one of the, the practices that we did on a very large scale um, for so many, I think over 2000 farmers. Um, and these farmers working on, on their plots of land and ensuring that they're intercropping trees and traditional staple crops with high value products. And because, I mean, you would have a maize, for example, after, say, three months, but the ginger stays on the land for nine months. And so the land is not sitting there wasted because you have higher value also for the land. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, of course, one example. But I could give you more examples. Second example is, <laughs> yeah, um, a, sec a second example would be that, of course, you need on a piece of land water management structures. Mm. Um, and that water management goes with plant and food production. And permaculture believes in scales of preference. 
And on scale of preference of water conservation, of course, rainwater is the first. So catch as much rainwater as possible, but this is not what is naturally happening in agriculture in Africa. So it rains usually like six months a year for most countries, but this rain just washes stuff off into the ocean. But if everybody would just catch as much rainwater as possible from the roof, from everywhere on the piece of land, and the practice is, do not allow water from your piece of land escape. You have to sink it in, improve the aquifers so that in the dry season, you still have water on the land. And usually this is not what people understand. Um, but also you have to put in place erosion control, erosion control mechanisms, either through plants or mechanical control systems, such that the soil stability is very well managed and it's in place for a long time. Um, and that after a long run, if you don't have water on your piece of land, you would probably um, after a while have a little spring source in itself because of how much water you've conserved on the piece of land. Um, however, that this water would go in cycles. Now, so many um, farmers dig wells and digging a well and pulling water out of a well is it's not i would never encourage this because this is taking water from where we want water to go and this is of course taking water from the aquifers and we need to bring water down so take the surface water and bring it down and not take the one down and bring it up and pump it up this is a reverse mechanism that doesn't really work with climate change that we're currently facing in the world um so first this is this this we put in place and then we ensure that that food production has enough um, access to water because in most cases when you don't have enough water and you have irrigation systems that don't work um, then agriculture also is very very challenging in most african countries um, of course i would recommend drip irrigation but um, with permaculture we we design a system where the plant is only water fed and that it rains and it feeds the plants because it has enough um so i create you the scenario so um i dig uh, a pit for for a tree and i put enough compost for example and this compost has come from a mixture of rough material and some animal resource um, and some of my personal resource and that personal resource could be my pea or you know I have lots of excesses, but also some extra stuff from my kitchen. Um, I bring all of this together. And sometimes we collect lots of waste from the, the food market, local markets, because there's excessive waste of food sitting there. And we collect all this waste and we create the compost out of it. And when we plant a tree, we bring this compost in. Um, and then we bring a lot of rough material, like rough branches and trees. Um, and we create something like a mesh and you can also put a bit of sawdust and what sawdust does and sawdust is this uh, rough material from when you cut down a tree um, and what sawdust does is that it's spongy it's a sponge that if you squeeze it holds water for a very long time so it holds the water in the soil and if it rains and it's um, and you have water in the sawdust and then you have 
what happens is that sawdust you know seals on the top but the water is still underneath it um and and you can create you know tiny little systems like this but that the tree itself is just being rain fed over time and it has enough um enough space in the pot where it collects water naturally and it can feed itself over the dry season um yes i can tell you much more complex fruit trees <laughs> or something like that at, around your your place that's that's good that's good information to know i think what we used to do also is put little river rocks or little stones in to help the you know the flow of water going in um underneath the roots and things like that of um small plants stuff like that but um that is, that's fantastic. That's good to know. Any, uh, we've got a, a couple of minutes left to have like one or two last questions. Uh, Emma or Prince, any questions from you, comments? Wow, I think I've, I've really learned a lot <laughs> in this area. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's, I think you can, you can get your, your kids, the kids that you have uh, that are coming into your, you know, to do some of your recreation projects. You could do a little co-op with them to learn some of this that they could take back to their homes and uh, do that. There's just, uh, there's some nuggets of gold here, I think. Emma, any comments? Yeah, um, thank you so much, Sonita, for sharing the practical examples and the benefits of permaculture. Um, I think I think also as Madame Mary has said, it would be something that'd be great since I work with primary school children and also university students, it'd be great to, when I have a session with them to educate them on permaculture and see if they can actually um, have a project back from where they come from, from what they learn with regards to permaculture. Yeah, but thank you for the insights. Yeah. So any parting yeah. words that you have, uh, Sunita, for anybody who's wanting to kind of get into that or to investigate more about Echo Villages, because I could see how that kind of thing could transform um, areas that are underprivileged, that don't have a whole lot um, going on, because a lot of it has to do with just the way they're thinking about things or not thinking about things. Any comments, final comments from you, Sunita? Yes, so now I'm starting to work a lot also with refugee camps because permaculture works really magically with small space because it's creativity of the design and what you bring into the system. And I would be actually in Kenya, so maybe I could get to see you, Emma. Uh, I would be teaching a permaculture design course to, I think, 30 people in Kenya um, in November. So, um, and and I hope to go to this huge refugee camp um, in the north of Kenya and to see how to work with permaculture there. Um, and I would be, be happy maybe at some point I could get to meet you or if you are available, I could bring you to this course. It's completely fine. Ooh, I love that. Maybe uh, help you with that. Uh, <laughs> anything you're doing in Nigeria that Prince could help with. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in Nigeria, we have some mushrooms because we um, also with permaculture, there's so much possibility with growing mushrooms organically. Um, and of course, Prince, maybe I can connect you with those projects. And also there is a huge herbal, um, herbal pharmaceutical project in, in Nigeria 
um, would be nice. I, I, I connect with you um, about this um, later. Okay, we can talk more. I'll connect yes. with you on later. Yeah, so if you want to know more about... entrepreneurship path. <laughs> so, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I think that the knowledge is there in Africa, the people are there, we're practicing different things, we can always share um, ideas, experiences, but of course, what is really necessary is that there is, um, that if there are more people out there who are interested in the work that we're doing, bringing life into soil, into nature, into human fabric, uh, whatever structures that may be and are willing to support you know the development of demonstration sites or uh, youth hubs that are facilitating permaculture eco-village design um would be amazing to connect um with these people this is my dream that that this would implant itself more and more in africa fantastic thank you so much sanita for spending some time with us um you know when we talked before you were in germany i think and now you're in portugal so you're moving around a little bit that's for sure uh and then from cameroon too so you're you're a global girl that's for sure um i can see how this sort of thing would fix a lot of economic development problems uh, community by community it has to be kind of small and then you know create and then recreate um, as you move along, but the, the value here is not just in the areas that you were talking about. This is something people around the world need to know about and need to practice and, uh, you know, figure out how they fit into something like this. It's not only good for you and your, for, for your community, but planet earth <laughs> needs this, needs this help too. So thank you very much. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Prince, for joining me and helping me with this. And uh, we will, if you're watching this on YouTube, go to www.frontrunnersinnovate.com and you will see uh, not only this uh, interview, but also we'll put some information, maybe some pictures that Sunita will send us so that you can have a visual to go with the conversation. And uh, we'll have the LinkedIn connections for everybody here. So thank you very much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate thank it. You. Right. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Prince and Emma. It was really wonderful. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.